sometimes the fact that you're someone's health care proxy is the last thing you're thinking about, and then suddenly it hits home. I had that experience recently when the phone rang one morning, and a physician on the other end of the line told me that before a family member could head in for scheduled surgery, they needed my consent because the family member was confused and couldn't grant it. I spoke with an attending, a surgeon, and an anesthesiologist, and in a matter of minutes said yes, yes, and yes to everything they were about to do, and yes, I understood the risks. At least, I hope I did. It was a first for me with this family member who'd always been able to understand procedures and give her own consent, but things were changing. The power and the purpose of the healthcare proxy. That's our topic on this edition of WIHI, and I want to welcome you to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for <coughs> Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live bi-weekly, like we are today, and after the show, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. How to, how to choose a healthcare proxy and how to be a Healthcare Proxy is the title of a new resource from the Conversation Project based here at IHI. Both sides of this bargain matter, as does the role healthcare systems can play, ensuring that every patient has a healthcare proxy over the course of their adult lifetimes, updated as needed, and especially near the end of life, as we're about to learn from our panel. So to introductions in just a moment, but here's IHI's John Gothier. He's going to remind you of how to make the most of your time with us today. John. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Madge. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. Uh, on the right of the screen is our chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions. So make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants in the Send to Bar when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto your computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or headphones, you'll see a top box in the, see a box in the top right hand corner labeled audio broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. But a simple solution to any hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that keeps up, please let the folks at IHI customer service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, they'll be posted at our archive page over at IHA.org slash WIHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also in- email info at IHI.org and they will send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI. Please take some time after the program to fill out our very quick survey and let us know what we've done. Back to you, Mitch. All right. Thanks so much, John. We'll turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway mark of the show. We welcome tweeting. Use, please, the at the IHI handle and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so we involve others in the conversation. So we started off today's program with a poll, and I'm going to ask John to bring it uh, up again. There's a slide, and then we'll put it uh, in the chat so you can actually vote. Do you have a healthcare proxy? Are you someone's healthcare proxy? Um, we invite you to respond. We hope you will. And uh, we'll take a look at the results uh, at about uh, just before the chat, a little bit after 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you've got about uh, another eight minutes or so uh, to uh, take the survey, a little way for us to get a sense of uh 
uh, how we're all doing in, in uh, what we're talking about today. All right, let me introduce our panel. So joining us by phone, we've got Suzanne Solomon. She is a geriatrician at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, where she is the Associate Chief of Clinical Geriatrics. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi. Good. Nice to be here. Fantastic. Also on the phone, Ravi Parikh. He is a resident in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital with a vision of integrating advanced analytics to improve routine patient care, particularly for those with advanced or serious illness. Welcome, Ravi. Thanks very much, Madge. Fiona McCann is sitting across from me, and she is the Senior Director of Primary Care Nursing at the Cambridge Health Alliance, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. For the past three years, Fiona has supported a multi-facility learning collaborative with the Harvard Medical School Center for Primary Care as a leader and as the nurse planner. Glad you're with us, Fiona. Great to be here. All right. She braved the torrential rain uh, to get here. Feel free, anyone, tell us about the weather. We always like to know uh, how's, your, how's your weather, wherever you're calling, wherever you're tuned in from. And filling in for Harriet Warshaw today, who's gotten bitten by one of the bugs going on around here right now. Harriet, if you're listening, we hope you're feeling better. Uh, <coughs> filling in for her is the Conversation Projects and IHI's Kate DeBartolo. Kate is a national field director now supporting hundreds of regions and communities working with the Conversation Project as part of their end-of-life care efforts. And Kate gets our first question. Uh, We're going to dig right into what the TCP is up to, the conversation project. Designating someone as your healthcare proxy is not necessarily new. Um, I think I've had various forms. uh, I won't tell you how long I've been around for as an adult, but I've filled out several over a period of time. But it has taken on some new significance of late, and I thought uh, we'd get into Kate's remarks by asking, uh, Kate, why do you think that's the case? Uh, What's what's going on that... uh, even that uh, the conversation project decided to put some energy into this. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Madge. And I apologize. You guys have torrential rainstorms. I've got mega thunderstorms here in Washington, D.C., so any banging around is the thunder. Okay. <laughs> but I think to your... I think to your question about kind of why has this healthcare proxy kind of, it's not necessarily new, but a little bit more attention lately. I think that there's just generally been some growing awareness about the importance of knowing what you would want for care at the end of life and having those conversations with loved ones. I think that as medicine and medical technology has gotten more advanced and complex, there are more scenarios that play out than maybe a few decades ago. And additionally, TV shows, movies, documentaries like the recently Oscar-nominated Extremists or books like Dr. Atul Gawande's Being Mortal have become very popular, and they've also improved how end-of-life scenarios are shown more accurately on the big screen or, or in articles or books. And so I think people are really realizing that they want to say and what happens at the end, and so they're starting to pay more attention, which is why we started the conversation project. You can see here on the screen that it's a national initiative to ensure that everyone's wishes for care at the end of life are both expressed and respected. So there's kind of a two-part aim there and that we know it is always too soon until it's too late, but really want to help folks have these conversations with their loved ones around the kitchen table and not in the ICU. It's really about how you want to live through the end of your life and not just a bunch of medical and legal terminology, but really trying to help people better understand 
how to articulate what their values are in case someone else has to make those decisions on your behalf. So, for example, are you concerned about too much care or too little care? That's really important for people to know. And, and we don't have a preference on what somebody's wishes should be, but we know that over 90% of people think it's important to talk about this and under 30% have. So we really want to close that gap. Um, and so I'd be happy to share a little bit more about kind of what we've been trying to, to build to get there, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, thank you. So that sets the scene for the conversation project. Uh, conversation being one of the operative words. And what I think is so interesting about this new kit, and we can maybe bring up that next slide uh, that's just come out just a couple of weeks ago, how to choose a healthcare proxy and how to be a healthcare proxy, something you can download right off the website there, is that uh, there's no way, well, I guess you can do this without having a conversation with anyone, uh, but it sure will be a lot more meaningful if you have uh, spoken about right. it and Somebody knows that they're on your form uh, or the person you've chosen knows uh, what's up. So tell us about uh, what, what's in this uh, proxy kit and, uh, you know, what, what do you think is maybe some, some standout features about it? Thanks. Sure. So as a little background for those on the conversation project, you know, we're generally trying to build awareness about this and using traditional and social media, but creating these tools that are all freely available on our website to help an individual get ready to have these conversations. So we have a regular conversation starter kit, different language translations. We have one for um, family members who might have somebody with Alzheimer's disease or other forms of dementia or critically ill children. But now this is really a guide for how to be a proxy and how to pick a proxy. And we think that having these conversations is far more effective than a piece of paper in a filing cabinet or my favorite that I heard, the safety deposit box at the bank. And so we created this because we heard from a lot of individuals that they had technically selected someone way back when or before I had my knee replaced or I think maybe my doctor has that somewhere, but they hadn't really spoken about it with their loved ones. And so we'd also heard from lawyers and financial planners that this is something they were dealing with with their clients, but nobody was talking to each other. So in leading up to National Healthcare Decisions Day this month, we created this tool to help individuals dive in a bit more deeply into how to kind of pick the right person, some of the things you might want to talk about, what you should know if you're selected. And so if we go ahead in um, some of the, the slides that we have here, it just kind of shows you some of the inner things of stuff like when is it appropriate to pick your proxy and kind of when you should be thinking about it. And so there's a couple of kind of major life events to consider. Or on the next slide, there's information about who to pick and how you can identify somebody that you trust the kinds of questions you should ask yourself. Um, sometimes people think it automatically has to be a spouse or it automatically has to be an adult child, but that's not the case. You can really think about who it is you would want to be. And then if you go forward, there's a little bit more about how to go about it. Um, we have a lot of frequently asked questions that we've received over the years, examples that we've heard. Um, we just had up on that screen an example of two women at um, a church session where neither one of them had kind of a, a naturally obvious healthcare proxy or agent to pick, and so they agreed to be it for each other. We've seen scenarios with a, a, a woman who had, you know, we talk about it as the Goldilocks case where her husband wasn't quite on par with what she wanted, her son went the totally opposite direction, and her daughter was right in the middle exactly where she wanted, so she won the golden ticket. 
Um, so we, we go through some of those different kinds of examples that somebody might want to be thinking about um, or conversations that they might like to bring up with each other. So it's not a legal document, but it's a tool to really help you think through how to make this important decision and how to talk about it in a comfortable way. All right. So you've been selected. <laughs> then what? <laughs> how to be one, <laughs> how to be a proxy. You want to just tell us just briefly about that? Sure. I think that if somebody has asked you to be their proxy, A, it's a real honor and B, it, it makes a lot of sense to figure out what are the values that this person has. There's no way that you're going to talk about every single hypothetical medical scenario that might play out. And so we have some prompts of questions to ask each other throughout here. Um, but to really understand what those values are so that you know if somebody is afraid of too much care, too little care, you understand who else in their family or among their friends you would want to be um, included. You can make sure that you get certain legal documentation on file um, I don't want to spend too much of this going through every single detail in here, but hopefully this tool will be helpful for folks as they go through it and as we hear through additional guests. Thank you so much, Kate, and uh, we'll be swinging back your way during the Q&I, Q&A, and whatever Q&I is, I'm not even sure. And uh, let's go, uh, let's just show very quickly also so you guys know, uh, our listeners today, what kinds of things you'll be downloading. We put up an example of the health proxy form uh, that that is considered the Massachusetts Health Proxy Form. I believe it's okay, uh, maybe all, those of you, the experts on the call, that you can adapt this form, uh, but it does have to have certain kinds of things like a witness, etc. So uh, feel free if anybody wants to on the chat, if uh, your state or community has a good form uh, that or your organization uh, and you want to share the link with that, uh, let us know. We can kind of compile those. All right. I want to turn next. Thanks, Kate, again uh, to Dr. Suzanne Solomon, uh, a geriatrician uh, who I know from the planning call has woven this right into her appointments. Uh, I don't think you get out of her office until you've actually uh, talked about it and filled it out. So uh, that's a system. So talk, talk about that that, uh, Suzanne, sort of how you came to, uh, I'm wondering if there's even kind of a before and an after here, uh, and whether you, in fact, sort of developed uh, some processes that uh, now seem to be working quite well with the healthcare proxy in your practice. Thanks, Suzanne. Well, as a geriatrician, you have to be 65 years old even to get into our practice, but having said that, the range is huge. Our youngest pediatric patients, as I call them, are 65, and my oldest patient is now 102. So on one hand, you would think that the 100-year-old really needs a healthcare proxy more than the younger patients, but experience has taught me that that just isn't the case. Um, I just not long ago had a young patient who was in her early 70s not close to her family at all, very athletic, excellent health, taking no medications, but she was concerned about if something happened to her, who would help make her decisions. And so she filled out the healthcare proxy form, asked a friend of hers to be the healthcare proxy, had a very detailed discussion about things that she wanted and did not want in the event that she couldn't make medical decisions for herself. And unbelievably, the day after we filed this in her chart, she had a massive stroke. 
and was put on life support. Because she had spoken to her health care proxy about this, uh, the health care proxy spoke to me quite a bit about what the next step should be. But eventually, uh, because these were the wishes of this person, the life support was withdrawn and the patient died. Had that health care proxy not been in place and had she not clearly expressed what she wanted, she probably would still be on life support with no life to look forward to. So I find it extremely important to get this done. And as you saw from previously how easy the healthcare proxy form is to fill out, uh, this was something put in place in the 90s. It was meant to be easy. It was meant to be done without an attorney or, um, or any else, but you literally can uh, just simply tell the person um, or, uh, you know, that this is simply a form that if you cannot make decisions for yourself regarding your health, who would you want that person to be? I find that even patients of mine who have some dementia and come in with an adult child or a friend will turn to that person and point to them and will still understand what I'm saying. And then they sign it. We get the two witnesses right there in the office, and it is done, and it's easily done. I do do it on the first visit if I can because I feel that it's a very important medical thing to have in their chart. It also kind of takes the fear out of it, whereas, you know, if you ask them later on, they start to worry, why are they asking me for a healthcare proxy where... Um, if you do it on the first or second visit, it's pretty routine. People often choose a child, but as Kate mentioned, if there are two or three children, they may have very different ideas about what they want for their mom or dad. One may want to keep them alive forever. One may understand what the parent wanted. Maybe they didn't want that. And so it is important to have one healthcare proxy assigned and then have an alternate in case the first person can't be reached. So I think it's uh, it's a very important thing. It's a very simple thing. And I think in a doctor's office, it's a very good place to have this addressed. Uh, Suzanne, uh, thank you very much. And I want to ask you just one quick question, and then we're going to move on and hear uh, from Fiona and then Ravi. Um, given that you start with uh, these young seniors <laughs> in your practice, I'm curious, uh, just even in a general way, what percentage already have a proxy uh, by the time that they're seeing you? I would say that the young ones, the people who are in, people in their 60s and 70s are much less likely to have the health care proxy because I think people still feel young and healthy and they, this doesn't come up that much. Whereas people who are in their 80s or 90s, they've seen friends who have gotten sick um, or have maybe been through this. And to be honest, it's not always the patient themselves, but rather the the children or somebody else who even raises the issue. 
Okay. All right. Well, this just gives us, we'll look at our survey just a while, but it sort of gives us a sense of some of where we're, we're starting from. Uh, one question that I'll put out there right now, we don't have to address, is that I would imagine some people might also wonder, so what's the difference between this and an advanced directive? And the older you get, the more you might think, well, do I need to also fill out both? Uh, so maybe we can just park that for a second or anyone's welcome to uh, weave that in. All right. Thank you, Suzanne. We'll come back your way as well. Uh, now it's my uh, pleasure to turn to Fiona here uh, from the Cambridge Health Alliance. And uh, I found out that Cambridge Health Alliance, uh, a safety net system uh, here in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts and in the Boston area, has a pretty active program going uh, now to really get the proxy uh, kind of routinely looked at and discussed in all of the system's primary care practices. So, Fiona, tell us uh, what, what's been going on and welcome. Sure. So in the primary care sites, the team does a fair amount of work. We call it pre-session work, where they're thinking about what does this person need. Um, and so it can range from things like the person needs a mammogram or they may actually need a healthcare proxy. So we say everybody who's over 18 uh, should be provided a healthcare proxy. And the staff looks at all of the uh, paperwork that might be needed in a visit. And sometimes it can be a lot, and so people prioritize the paperwork that has to happen. But the real thing that we do at Cambridge Health Alliance is we um, record the healthcare proxy by an order, by a physician's order. And so we are actually able to run reports on the numbers of patients who have them and who might need one. Um, and so the different primary care clinics are trying to boost the numbers of uh, patients that do have a completed healthcare proxy. And for everybody over 18, we're in the 30 to 40% range of people who have them. We do also have um, a couple of geriatricians, and their um, rates are much higher. They're closer to 90% of their patients actually having the healthcare proxy. What would you say are the biggest challenges right now? I mean, I, I, we've got a slide up here that's kind of a almost a classic, a little bit of a process mapping of all the right. points of entry uh, and who among staff in a primary care practice can initiate. But uh, what what are you working on here? I guess. So I think. Um there are so many competing priorities, and so there are things that we have to get done in the visit, so we have to do some sort of assessment around their mental health and their drug use and their alcohol use, and so for this, the priority isn't actually the first visit, although, um, as Suzanne said, it's much easier to do it in the first visit and say, we ask this of all of our patients, um, and we do have time constraints in the visits, so we have about 20 minutes with patients, and sometimes this takes a little bit longer. The other thing is it is important that they identify the people who are their proxies, but also that they begin thinking or verbalizing what does that really mean. So what are my wishes at the end of my life? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is, uh, how, how long has this uh, visualization been in effect or kind of being worked on? Probably for about three years in the different primary care sites. And you actually mentioned the advanced directives and the geriatricians in our um, clinics are working with patients on MOLST, on the MOLST form, which is a state um, order. And it does get into lots of would you like to go to the ICU and would you consider IV to, uh, feedings. And so that requires a, a longer conversation between the patient and the 
provider. Has to specify more. Right. Absolutely. So the proxy, you can designate someone and you can and cannot. Right. You don't have to. Okay. Um, and would you, I'm, I'm noticing you've got the medical assistant there. Are you, are sites kind of experimenting with sort of who is maybe the best person to handle this? Um, so the important part of the medical assistant is the front desk staff will hand out the form to patients, and they can certainly make copies of the healthcare proxy. Um, the medical assistant um, has some authority in the medical record to start an order, so not everybody can start the order. And the PCP or or a clinician definitely has to sign the order, but the medical assistant is part of sign is part of creating the order and making sure that it's signed and in, in, in the chart. Okay, great. I also um, I don't think we're going to go into it right now, but uh, if people are going to mail it back in, right, that's a whole other process. And if anybody has any questions about that, uh, feel free. Okay, thanks, Fiona. And Thank you. We'll circle back also. So now let me turn to uh, Ravi Parikh, and uh, I think it from the Brigham and women's perspective where you are, you were going to talk a little bit about some of the differences between sort of the inpatient and outpatient uh, with the healthcare proxy. And thanks again for being part of the program, Robbie. Sure. And thanks so much, Mesh, for, for having me on. Um, so so uh, like you were saying, I see patients on both the inpatient and the outpatient side at Bruin Women's, which is a large academic medical center. And, you know, I, I think we've heard from um, the past few panelists that, um, you know, we, We've made a lot of progress with filling out proxies, but we have a lot of progress that we can make. And what I've found is that um, there's uh, some specific challenges to filling out proxies, depending on whether you're on the outpatient side or the inpatient side, which is where I spend most of my time. Um, so so we, we've heard from Suzanne and Fiona about how on the outpatient side, um, really innovative strategies about integrating proxies into a routine visit. And that's that's... You know, such a, a testament to their work because for the average primary care doc, and I, and I practice at a pretty high volume academic primary care practice, um, the time pressure is just so challenging to Fiona's point about addressing not only j- just addressing routine health concerns, often not leaving time for uh, a detailed discussion about what a proxy is and why it's useful. And so, you know, there have been some new Medicare billing codes for advanced care planning, and that might incentivize some more in- increased conversations about proxies in the, in the outpatient setting. But, you know, they're still not widely used. Less than 20% of all providers in 2016 actually use some of these codes. So that's some of the challenges on the outpatient side, I'd say. On the inpatient side, so in the hospital, when patients are hospitalized, um, we face not so much pressures of time, but more so pressures of attention, I'd say. We're responsible for many patients coming in with an acute problem, oftentimes the consequence of a serious illness. And, you know, sometimes we're we're taking these issues head on. We're directly, you know, uh, you know, filling out proxies. We're directly talking about advanced care planning. We're even sometimes transitioning individuals from a disease-directed to a comfort-directed approach, like the patient who comes in for a terminal complication of late-stage cancer who gets transitioned to hospice. But but most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, we're focused on actually addressing the condition they came in with. And honestly, once that condition has been addressed, getting people safely ahead of the hospital as soon as they can 
Um, and, and I think what that misses is that the hospital is sometimes a critical opportunity to fill out a proxy um, because it's when advanced illness and complications are at the foremost of patients and doctors' minds. And, uh, and oftentimes, uh, you know, it, it's a great time and it just falls by the wayside. And there's also the problem of, of finding a proxy once it's been scanned into the record, which hopefully we can get to because that's frequently a struggle on the inpatient setting. So, so at Brigham and Women's, we've, we've really realized that one of the solutions to the challenges um, that I've mentioned is, is team-based care. And so partnering with our social work and nurse colleagues um, to increase the number of patients that fill out a proxy. And I think there's evidence that team-based care works. Um, individuals at Suzanne's institution at the Beth Israel, you can see on, the, on one of the slides there, have shown that engaging a team of administrative support, practice assistants, assistants nurses, and physicians um, in a standardized process can increase the number of healthcare proxy decisions or verifications by almost 25%. And at my hospital, sometimes the way that this works is that the physician will identify a patient who's willing to discuss advanced care planning and who agrees to fill out a proxy and then directs that patient to one of the social workers that we know extremely well. That's part of our team, sub-team within our team at Brigham and Women's to actually go through the specifics of what a proxy is, how to activate it, and how to delegate somebody. And if a patient has further questions or wants to fill out a more directed form like the most that was described earlier, they're referred back to the physician. And this not only saves times for all stakeholders, but ensures that patients are getting what they need in a timely manner by someone who knows what they're doing. I think the other thing is that in the standard Brigham Women's Proxy form, which um, I've included a couple slides on, uh, you can, and I know this because I recently actually filled one out after a routine medical visit, uh, is that our standard proxy, proxy kit comes with very patient-friendly language and a, and a frequently asked questions section such that you could fill this out at home, and I'm going to start using the conversation pro, uh, proxy kit as an essential adjunct to that. Um, but it, it also comes with a living will and or an advanced directive form in the same packet and explains that difference to Madge's point. And, and I think that's important because studies have shown that both a healthcare proxy opinion and an advanced directive together have much more of a stronger effect in influencing physicians' decisions at the end of life than either of those individually. So I think that's what we're doing at Brigham Women's. I'll go ahead and, and stop there. All right. Thank you very much. And um, I want to just, I'm going to just flip back. We're going to about we're about to go to chat, and I want to also do the poll results. Uh, John, go back for a second to the team-based care works slide. So in terms of uh, what happened here, uh, seeing that the numbers were actually going in the right direction, is this an ongoing uh, uh, process improvement that's still taking place, and has it been duplicated in any other areas uh, in the system, in the health system? Yeah, so this is a, a process improvement uh, effort among um, late-stage uh, kidney disease patients in the uh, Beth Israel Renal Clinic, and I, I'm actually not sure whether it's been duplicated, but it's to you know similar to um, Fiona's example. It, it's a multidisciplinary effort that starts at the time that a patient signs in with the medical assistant and actually empowers medical assistants and practice assistants and nurses to um, you know be the ones initiating the you know the, giving out the proxy. Um, and, and I think that's why it's been a lot. That's why it's been pretty successful. 
Okay. Thank you very, very much. Um, all right. So we've heard from everyone and, uh, Kate and Suzanne and, uh, Fiona and, uh, Ravi, thank you very much. I want to acknowledge in the chat, we're having a bit of a discussion going on, on which states require some kind of notarization, uh, for your form to be official. Uh, I see there's not an entire disagreement. I mean, agreement on South Carolina there. Um, that may be something that uh, we can uh, look into and provide a good source on, but I appreciate that people are trying to clarify that. All right, let's see what happened with the poll uh, in terms of finding out our audience today, and I have to move away from the mic so I can see what the results are. Can you see him, Madge? Yes, John. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I can't see him on mine because I'm still the administrator, so. All right, let me move this here. So we've got, all right. So do you have a healthcare proxy? Um, yeah, yes, but and like are you someone's? Yeah, but there's some number there who do not. Uh, and um, anybody want to thank you very much. So we've got uh, basically, I don't know if um, I think I'm looking at absolute numbers there. Uh, and go ahead, Fiona. Yeah, it must yeah. be about 70% of the people, maybe 72%. Okay, that sounds good. So I'm curious, uh, if in the chat, if you feel like it, thank you very much. And the, the poll will also be something that you can uh, download. Uh, if um, people feel like it, you could chat in and tell us, uh, you know, perhaps if you don't, <laughs> will today's show change your mind <laughs> and maybe take a look at the healthcare proxy kit? It actually kind of made the whole thing uh, more normal. Um, and that's part of what I think the Conversation Project has also been trying to do, uh, take a little bit of the intensity out of, out of some of this. Um, all right, uh, we're going to turn to the chat, and uh, I want to uh, have John just quickly remind everybody uh, just how to make sure that your question gets seen by everyone. Yeah, make sure that in the chat your um, uh, questions and comments are addressed to all participants. All right, very good. Um, I want to, I think, if it's okay with you, and I, I invite all my panelists to interrupt me at any time and, uh, when you see something, and John, maybe we can go back to the, the chat screen. Um I, I, there were some questions. The significance, uh, Fiona, first I'm going to ask you because it relates. Uh, what's the significance of it being a physician order in the electronic record? Uh, Ravi suggested there are some issues about finding things. I wondered if that uh, also rang true for you. Right. So in the electronic medical record, in order for you to build a report, it has to be in a reportable field. Um, and uh, Physician's order or provider's order is is a discrete field, and you can check for that. Um, and that's how the IT department built our report. So we can figure out who's coming in next month for a visit or next week for a visit who doesn't have an active healthcare proxy. So um, that's why we created it as an order. You certainly don't need an order in the state of Massachusetts, but it was really around um, the electronic medical record and being able to retrieve the data. Rob, thank you, Fiona. Robbie, what are the issues uh, that are, uh, you know, needing to maybe still be dealt with at Brigham? 
Well, you know, and I think this is this is an issue at a, at a lot of different hospitals is that the healthcare proxy is a physical form that usually needs to be signed, uh, as opposed to an electronic form that can be electronically signed. And so, physically physically filled out forms are scanned into the record. And the problem with scanned things is that they're usually imported in a not so findable place in the electronic medical record. Um, I think you know, with good training, we're informed about how to do it. But for the first time person using the electronic medical record, it's it's not necessarily necessarily intuitive. And that's why I think some of the strategies for more user-friendly, more physician-friendly, or electronic versions of these um, that can be easily accessible are, are, are really key. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, and feel free, uh, Suzanne or Kate, if, if you want to uh, jump in on any of this. Uh, Suzanne, wh- where do your forms land uh, once they've been completed? Well, we, we have the same issue because the Really, the electronic medical record is not that old, and many people had the paper forms of the uh, healthcare proxy, and as the paper charts disappeared, so did many of the healthcare proxies. And so we've had to redo them so they can be scanned and put in the chart, but we have the same issue that there is no one specific place that everybody knows to look for the healthcare proxy. You know, we in our geriatric office know where to look, but when the patient gets admitted to the hospital, it is not intuitive. There is not one specific place where, for instance, the residents who are caring for the patient know where to look. So I agree that while the healthcare proxy itself is such an easy paper to fill out, storing it in the record still needs some work. Well, I hear a process improvement <laughs> project. Go ahead, Kate. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say there's a couple of things. So as I mentioned in the very beginning about the goals of the conversation project is to make sure people's wishes for care are both expressed and respected. And so we've got a whole body of work on that respected side from the healthcare system. And so I put into chat a link to a white paper we have about that. But I think one of the common denominators is all different health systems have all different approaches to how they do that within their electronic record system. But it's a really important thing about how do we steward this information reliably so we can um, find it when we need it. And there are some states that are working on electronic registries and there's all sorts of things that are happening state by state. And so I do think that's an important thing for listeners to realize they need to really find out what their state rules are. But I think that this actually bubbles all the way back to say this document is super important to have, absolutely, and yet it can't replace the conversation that you can have with somebody. So I would hate for somebody listening to spend a lot of time figuring out just how to fill out a form but not telling their loved one what what they mean by that or that they've selected them. Like my spouse knows that he is my healthcare proxy and we have then gone through some of the the starter kit questions or themes about what our values are um, so that people don't get just hung up on the, on the document side, but really being able to start talking about what, what they would want if they couldn't speak for themselves. And hopefully the tools that we have to share will help people with that. Thanks a lot, Kate. Um, I guess I want to ask uh, about the, the choosing process. And somebody wrote in about the role that social workers can play uh, in helping uh, folks uh, choose the right person and perhaps also to fulfill the role. I'm wondering, Fiona, if social workers are involved in, in this uh, issue uh, through the Cambridge Health Alliance? So um, we do have some social workers, and we have complex care managers also 
who can help people um, sort through. And I think really it's about trying to pick somebody that you have had that discussion with and that they understand that they are making decisions that you would make for yourself. And so trying to tease that out, and I think we heard that a little bit in some of the other um, conversations, making sure that people understand they're making the choices that you would make. They may not totally agree with them, but they're making them for you. Okay, very good. Uh, again, I think match to, to... Go ahead, Robbie. Yeah. I think match... I think match to that point, um, you know, social workers, both in the inpatient and the outpatient side, oftentimes, you know, physicians are rotating between different rotations at an academic center. And so while it's the physician who's meeting a patient for the first time, social workers are there on a usually a continuous basis, and at least in our outpatient practice, our social workers will follow patients longitudinally. So it's not only an issue that I think social workers really know how to elicit preferences, but that they often know the patients a lot better. Than, than some of the physicians who are rotating in and out. And I think that's essential when you're having an ongoing conversation like about choosing a healthcare proxy. Suzanne, thank you, Ravi. Suzanne, I'm wondering, does the discussion go pretty smoothly in your practice in terms of the person? Uh, there, there is discussion about one of the challenges continuing to be all the things that need to be accomplished and uh, time and an appointment. I don't know if you're able to give more time. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, if, if if people at some point do sometimes feel stuck uh, about how to make this decision. Um, you mean the decision about yes. who should be the healthcare proxy? Right. Uh-huh. Interestingly, it's usually pretty clear to the person. I think what a lot of pa- uh, parents struggle with is, you know, if they have more than one child, they don't want one child's feelings to be hurt. But they usually are pretty definite about which child they think is going to be their their voice in case they can't be the voice. I think for many people, they appoint that person as the primary health care proxy and then really more to make, to smooth over feelings, they make other people their alternates. And I tell them they can have as many alternates as they want and we just go down the list. Right, okay. I think sometimes I think um, is- it's... It, Go ahead, Suzanne. Yeah, go ahead and finish. Uh I was just going to say that um, because of the brevity of time, we don't get into a whole lot of specific details about what you would like and what you wouldn't like. But um, even if you just ask one or two questions, I think even for a person to say in front of the healthcare proxy that they're appointing, when it's my time to go, I want to go, no machines. I think just those few words really are um, very helpful to a healthcare proxy who may not know what to do when the time comes. Thank you. I was going to ask uh, Ravi um, if, particularly in the, the hustle bustle of an intense academic medical center, um, to what degree being somebody's uh, proxy uh, now is kind of uh, the way in which many of the clinicians treating a patient uh, feel that that's the one person uh, and maybe the only person uh, they want to speak to uh, about a patient. I'm wondering, uh, I've heard that that sometimes, uh, you know, de facto becomes the way in which uh, folks can efficiently talk with one family member. Is that your experience at all? 
Yes, that, that that's that's uh, definitely been been the case, and I think that's that's so relevant because oftentimes people come into the hospital not being able to speak for themselves, either as a consequence of they're usually as a consequence of, of their medical condition, um, and, and and so you know the proxy becomes such a valuable lesson, and, and really what we're talking to the proxy about isn't what you would want in this scenario, but how would you want your loved one and your or whoever's designated you as a proxy, what would they want to do in this situation? And I think, you know, having certainly, I think it's sort of a, a continuum or a group of tools that we have as physicians to um, interpret people's wishes at the, uh, you know, um, in advanced illness or at the end of life. The proxy is one. Oftentimes, like as I mentioned, you know, having a written set of preferences in an advanced directive and informing the proxy of those preferences helps the proxy process some of this information as well, because oftentimes, as some of some of the people on the call probably have realized, being a proxy can be a stressful situation when you're in the moment. Absolutely. And if I can break from my formal hosting role to say, personally, I think sometimes it can be an enormous amount of pressure uh, on the one family member uh, kind of carrying the weight, uh, which is why I want to go back to uh, Kate's point that I think it's not, it's it's kind of multiple conversations. It's it's you who are, you know, rep- perhaps representing a family member to the best that you can, as best that you can, but also having conversations. Conversations. I mean, that doesn't substitute for family members talking to each other. And I'm sure, Kate, that's something that you would want to stress as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that comes up, this idea of multiple adult children and how does one pick, um, making sure that it, the goal of this is to alleviate um, stress and anxiety and not always to add more. And, and I had a great example of a woman I met in Florida who was the healthcare proxy for her husband, but it was a second marriage. And she said, I realize he hasn't told his adult children that I'm the proxy and they're not. And it would cause World War III if something happens to him and suddenly I'm the one that the doctors are listening to and they didn't realize that and how much he could alleviate that stress by just telling them, hey, heads up. Susan's in charge. You know, so there's also a little bit of just making sure it's not a surprise to anybody um, so that there's no turf wars that play out. And and also what you were saying, Madge, about kind of how overwhelming it can be. And just being sure that, you know, more than one person knows what the wishes are, keeping multiple people informed and really keeping, in a particular case, you know, mom at the center of this. If it's a large family, I know my mom is one of seven. She was the, the proxy for both of her parents. But they doled out responsibilities. Somebody else took care of finances. Somebody else took care of housing. You know, they relied on friends. And so making sure this doesn't all become one big burden, but it's actually meant to alleviate that stress for people. Very, very interesting. I see, uh, thanks, Kate. I see that uh, Tracy has mentioned that they've added, uh, I'm not sure what you've added it to. I'm sorry if I missed that thread. Persons I want my advocate uh, to include in the decision-making process actually put that down in some kind of documentation of uh, who's really part of uh, the, the extended group, I guess, that's kind of part of the uh, decision-making process. So that's kind of uh, interesting as well. Well, um, any other uh, experiences uh, that people want to share uh, through the chat? 
Um, I guess I want to kind of go around the horn and say who, uh, I hope this doesn't put anyone in the spot, is if you had to sort of say who among the various uh, practitioners or processes uh, seem to be the most resistant uh, to any of these, who would you uh, point out uh, as you go around and maybe sort of needs uh, kind of more time to sort of figure out how to do this? Fiona? Um I think people who are 18, 20, 22, I think um, they feel like they have time and that that's not really something that's necessary for them to do. Um, and they don't engage in healthcare um, in the same way that people who are over 50 typically do. Um, and so it's always sort of a, a different environment for them. I do think that that many of the younger people have thought through the process of do I want to be uh, in an ICU and on machines? And that's not a scary uh, conversation for them, but they're not really willing to fill out the paperwork. Okay. Thank you, Fiona. We do, I think Vicki chatted it in, but I do want to point it out why millennials should choose a healthcare proxy by our IHI's own Kim Mitchell. Uh, great blog uh, that was posted uh, on IHI.org on March 23rd. And um, Kim, who's been working some with the Conversation Project, and I think beginning and uh, really put down very uh, nicely sort of the perspective of, of, of her generation and why it can matter. Ravi, uh, who, who uh, kind of ha- is uh, maybe resistant within the system of trying to figure this out with the proxy, would you say? Uh, well, certainly, certainly millennials. I, I was pretty. I, I think I was pretty resistant until my my doctor mentioned it to me. But I, I mean, I, I think the other thing that maybe maybe not resistant, but um, just you know that it, it, this ends up being a you know a difficult process is for particularly our older individuals who are socially isolated and so who don't have a lot of social ties in the community. Who oftentimes haven't. This is the first time they're interfacing with the healthcare system because this just isn't something that they've thought about. And when the process comes to actually choosing someone to make decisions for themselves in the moment. That's actually that's that's oftentimes a really difficult decision because they they don't have anyone. Or say, for example, it's the older individual whose family members have passed along, and that you know while it can be a sad situation, it, it's all oftentimes a chance for the doctor and uh, in you know the healthcare practitioner to really connect a lot more with that patient because it's been the first time they've ever thought about it. Thanks a lot. I had a um, staff member here at IHI when she saw what we were going to be talking about on WIHI today uh, tell me a a little story about uh, uh, her mother who took ill all of a sudden in Florida. She's doing okay now, uh, but for at least some period of time, a bit of a scare. And when the staff member found her mother's uh, proxy form in her pocketbook, um, she realized it was possibly outdated, but it certainly hadn't been looked at in years. And as she said to me, not a good thing to do a proxy and have and think it's just one and done. And uh, I was wondering, uh, Suzanne, if that comes up in your practice, uh, looking at it again. Uh, we've been talking a lot about just getting one form <laughs> filled out, documented in, a, in an electronic a system, etc. But uh, certainly if you start out as a millennial, a lot can change uh, in, in your lifespan. But even uh, in the span of your own patients, uh, Suzanne. Yes, as a matter of fact, I was just thinking that before you even asked it, and uh, just saying, uh, following up on what Ravi said, that 
the people with families tend not to change that much. But for people who don't have families or are not that connected socially, um, the, the healthcare proxy often changes because they will try to find somebody. It could be a social worker who's helping them or somebody from the senior center who has really taken them shopping every week and really the closest person that they have, and they may make them the healthcare proxy. And then as time goes on, things change. Either that person moves away or there's a falling out, and so that person will then change the healthcare proxy. So that's who I tend to see it most with, and it is very important to keep it updated. Okay, thanks. Fiona, you look like you were almost going to say something. No, no go ahead. because it's an order, we can um, update it each year, uh, so it doesn't expire, but it gives people a prompt for like, oh, that was a year ago we had this discussion. Is this still valid? Okay, thanks. John? Yeah, uh, thanks, Madge. Um, uh, you know, I know we talked a little bit about the conversation project today, but um, just wanted to let you know about a great program that IHI is offering, uh, which is a little bit off topic, um, but it's about perfecting emergency room department operations, and we'll be holding it in June, June 22nd to 23rd, out in Chicago. Um, it's a seminar that will provide uh, healthcare, profe- healthcare professionals with the opportunity to learn how to optimize ED patient flow, their operations and service. Um, and practical applications will demonstrate why efficient EDs are so critical to the safety and satisfaction of patients. Uh, families, and, of course, hospital staff. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about it, we uh, encourage you to visit IHI.org, E-D operations. That's IHI.org slash E-D operations. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in June in Chicago. All right. Thanks very much, John. And those dates again, June 16th, 17th, and I see Washington, D.C. on the slide. Oh. All right. It's okay. We'll get that yeah. sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I, I'm not sure. June, DC getting a little hot. Chicago, we don't know. It'll be. It'll both be warm. <laughs> it'll both be warm. Okay. Thanks a lot, Kate. Yes, go ahead. Thanks, John. Oh no, I was just going to say yes. I was saying thing, and it's 2016, so just confirming those dates. All right. Okay. We'll get that slide. Uh, we know there is an emergency department operations program coming up, and we'll make sure the uh, information is uh, corrected. All right. What I'd like to do now is kind of go around the horn and say kind of have everybody speak a little bit to where we go next. And I know the Conversation Project uh, wants to hear from a lot of you. We'll talk to, we'll speak to that in just a second. But let me uh, start with you, Suzanne. Uh, maybe even as being part of this discussion or as your own thinking uh, and ideas evolve, uh, are there some things you intend to work on next or as as you move along with this issue of the proxy? So there are two things that come to mind. I already have a big yellow sticky here on my computer to say contact the uh, EMR folks to find out if we can find a designated place where the entire hospital puts their health care proxies once they're scanned in. And then the second is I have two millennials, and I'm going to take home a couple of health care proxy forms. These are your own millennials. <laughs> These are my own children millennials, right. yes. <laughs> I never even think about millennials with health care proxies, but um, very important. So I learned something from this. Okay, they've been forewarned. <laughs> All right, that's very good. Well, thanks, Suzanne. Uh, Ravi, uh, kind of any thoughts about sort of where this issue may go next to kind of in your purview? 
Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I think, uh, first of all, I, I'm in love with the conversation project. And I think that to its, to its point, getting some of these conversations about proxies out of the clinic, out of the hospital, and into the hands of families around the dinner table, I think is the highest chance of this having some, of, of, of choosing a proxy to gain, gain hold as a sort of a, a sticking factor in people's lives. And I think, from my end, making sure that that conversation has happened as part of my regular screening. You know, I have a whole checklist that I go through at my annual visits about colonoscopies and and uh, and mammograms and all sorts of stuff that patients are probably a, you know not necessarily the most fun, uh, the, the most excited to have. And I think you know uh, having a you know having a healthcare proxy kind of checkbox be in that discussion would be a really necessary component. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Fiona, uh, kind of what, what, what happens next? I'm sure you've got a lot of projects, but this is one of them. Yeah. So, um, I'm really interested in the, um, chat and the different, um, resources that people have identified because I think that's really helpful for staff and for, um, patients and family members to access. And I might actually share my own story with the conversation project. Okay. Sounds really good. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I think that's a, a really nice prompt. Uh, for Kate, and uh, let's bring up that nice slide. Tell us your healthcare proxy story. And lo and behold, we've got uh, a little bit of, of Fiona's story. This is one of them, and a, a wonderful photo here of Fiona and her dad. Voila. Okay, Kate, tell us about this. Sure. So I think. You know, one of the things you're asking how people are going to take this back, one of the things the Conversation Project is trying to do is continuing to reach people where they work, live, pray, play, online, social media, all of that. And so really getting this in front of audiences who may not realize something that applies to them. And so if you have a story that you'd be willing to share, if you would send us a paragraph, as it says here, maybe under 100 words, and a photo about you and your proxy or the story that you have, you can send it to this email address here. Just about what, what you think would be helpful for other people to share. For those of you who've seen Humans of New York, there's kind of a similar theme here, but we're um, highlighting these snapshots on our social media pages, and they've done a great job of kind of getting people chatting and sharing their own stories, and so we think it's great to kind of humanize this and help people realize that it applies to them. Thank you very much, uh, Kate. And I want to point out uh, that when Fiona shared this in an email to me, I think we all have uh, these stories, and we don't think of them as stories. It's it's sort of something we say, well, here's here's a way in which I've related uh, to this issue. Uh, certainly this is part of Fiona's work, but it's also part of her uh, life and her life story. So we're very, very uh grateful for what you shared and what we were able to kind of put up there, and we hope others will take advantage uh, of that and, and your experience and sort of the realization, I guess, uh, at young ages in your family, I guess, kind of the, the value of the, of the proxy when things happen that you weren't expecting. So I really want to uh, listen. This chat is definitely one to download, folks. We will have it posted on our website uh, that uh, our archived uh website of the program, uh, certainly by tomorrow, but uh, you are prompted when you get off today's program if you want to save all these materials, and I invite all of you to save this very um, interesting chat and discussion. There's tons of resources people have batted back and forth. I don't know how we finally wound up in terms of whether a notary is, uh, you know, required in, in, in what 
which particular states, uh, but I see that some people were definitely working on it. And uh, Kate also clarified that the program coming up is in Washington, D.C. in June, and uh, it is in Chicago. That's right. That's what she said. Fiona just gave me that great look. Uh, definitely want to have Fiona on your team. <laughs> We will get it straight. It is coming up in Chicago in June 2017. Okay, forget 2016, long ago. So thank you to a wonderful panel today. Uh, Suzanne, Kate, Ravi, and Fiona, you've been very generous uh, with all your help with shaping today's program. Next up on WIHI on the 20th, we're going to be talking about creating age-friendly health systems. I'd say that relates to what we were talking about today. Really interesting new initiative that IHI uh, is part of, uh, thanks to support from the John A. Hartford Foundation. So some ambitious things going on there to really begin to articulate what constitutes an age-friendly health system. Uh, a reminder, again, you can download anything uh, as you get off today, but you can find all the resources on IHI.org uh, as of tomorrow. And any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org, and they'll set you straight and put you in the right direction. People who help make WIHI possible include John Gothier, Matt Morris, Vicki Minden, Jane Rossner, Haley Ladd, Christine, Christine Leon, Jameson Case, Stephanie Garfunkel, and Val Weber. And a special thanks today to Zach Rubin for all his help with today's program. And Harriet, uh, we wish you well, and we'll get you back on here soon. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.